This is an RNZ podcast. Well, you can literally hear the sound of rocks on the roof. That's the voice of Teveta Vahoi, a finance manager in Nukualofa, in a dramatic Facebook video he made on the 14th of January, which showed showers of debris falling from the sky after the eruption of the Honga Tonga Honga Hapai volcanic island. Now that was heard all over the region and detected all over the world and captured in jaw-dropping satellite images, which later starkly showed how huge chunks of the island had been obliterated. They were blasted 20 kilometres into the air, some of it coming back down again, as could be heard in this Facebook live stream from former Fijian journalist Elias Satora. Online eyewitness accounts like those in the immediate aftermath left no doubt about how serious this was, though it was far from clear just how widespread the damage was or how deadly the disaster had been. Distress signals and nothing else from outlying islands heightened the anxiety. And in the hours and the days that followed, getting the facts from a distance here and getting actual news reports out from there became all but impossible. The phones were dead and the cable carrying internet communications to and from Tonga was cut. The acting United Nations coordinator in the Pacific told RNZ this. Um, I've worked in a lot of emergencies, but uh, this is one of the hardest in terms of communicating and trying to, to get information from there. With the, the severing of the sea cable that comes from Fiji, they're just cut off uh, completely. So we're relying 100% on satellite uh, phones. And five days after the eruption, RNZ Pacific's manager Moira Tuelepa-Taylor told Morning Report things weren't much better. I have to say I've covered quite a lot of disasters in the Pacific region and it's the first disaster where there has been complete silence. You know, often we were able to get some government disaster management office. We just heard nothing. So that has really made a lot of people very anxious. They are able, there has been, I know that the Australian High Commission has been providing a sat phone and so people have been trying to reach in their families via there just to make sure that they're okay. And even those sat phones they were relying on weren't always reliable, with all the gunk in the atmosphere interfering intermittently with the signals. So what other communication options were there? You always have people involved in ham radio, and they're always saying, we're very useful in an emergency. Are there any people out there with ham radio, and have they spoken to people in Tonga? News Talk ZB talk host Marcus Lush on the 18th of January with a good question. His listeners didn't have the answer, but others were also looking, such as a ham radio group in Australia, though their news wasn't good. Now, there are no known permanent amateur radio operators uh, in Tonga. I spoke to Roly ZL1BQD. He activated as part of a de-expedition using the call sign A35RR. Rowley said that he's involved with one of their local FM broadcast stations uh, up on the main island, but he's been unable to get hold of them in any way yet. And that same day, a San Francisco CBS TV station reported that ham radio operators there were also transmitting in vain. But that's what ham radio operators like Dick Wade are prepared for. The antenna above his Walnut Creek home is pointed toward Tonga. 
but so far he hasn't been able to pick up anything recognizable. It's a part of the world that's difficult from this area to reach, but Australia and New Zealand, they should start hearing lots of stuff. Any news, especially positive news, is being received gratefully by friends and family who, so far, have been left to imagine the worst. Now, no news organisation wants to leave people to imagine the worst days after a disaster when even the basics like the number of deaths couldn't be confirmed. Now, the best reporting option is, of course, to go and see for yourself, but in the COVID era, that is even more complicated. Last Tuesday, TVNZ's One News reported this. To the latest news out of Tonga, an Australian naval ship taking aid to the island nation is now a COVID carrier. HMAS Adelaide left for Tonga last Friday carrying much-needed supplies, but at least 23 of the more than 600 crew members have since tested positive for COVID. So with tens of thousands of Tongan New Zealanders desperate for news, how did our reporters here tackle the task of reporting that story with so little to go on? I asked News Hub's Pacific correspondent, Michael Mora. It was unprecedented in terms of the duration of the blackout. Even during Category 4 and 5 cyclones, I haven't personally experienced a situation where phones, email, even social media have been down for such a long period of time. We had contact with our friend and journalist in Nukualofa, Marion Kupu, just after the eruption. But after making that initial contact on the phone, we couldn't reach her at all until five days later. So everything went down in Tonga. In fact, the Prime Minister told me just one local radio station was functional after the eruption and able to transmit, which was pretty fortunate, Colin, as they could get the message out that a tsunami threat was in place. But it's still quite difficult. I mean, even interviewing the PM, I was texting him on his sat phone, and then he went to another building where the internet was quite good, um, and that allowed us to do a Zoom and it's also interesting, Colin, one of the first places where news and information came from was the Ha'apai Island Group. So a reverend there managed to get a connection up using a setup provided by the University of South Pacific and notified Jenny Salisa at the time that there had been no deaths in the Ha'apai um, Group or in the main um, couple of islands, Pangai. Um, now, I've travelled to Hapai a number of times before and have used this connection to get stories back to New Zealand during Cyclone Ian in 2014, and it's quite a small sort of makeshift building on a hill. I don't know exactly how it all works, but it worked for us in terms of being able to get internet capacity to send stories back in 2014, and this has been a key method of communication for the residents there too who have been packed inside this little building talking to people on Facebook. So you would think that the kingdom will be looking at really bolstering its methods of communication, really bolstering its backup methods of communication so that it doesn't face a blackout of this duration again. And I suppose at that point, yourself and your editors, they're trying to make a judgment, OK, so is that the extent of devastation? Now it's a clean-up thing. This thing has peaked and now it's a recovery. Or are you sitting there two or three days in still thinking, we don't know whether this is actually now worsening and things are absolutely desperate. And this is a story kind of should be on the way up, you know, internationally. The relevance and importance of the story actually increased. In the absence of being able to speak to people on the ground, the story swiftly shifted to the agonising weight for families here in New Zealand to hear if their loved ones were OK. And so that's how I went about covering the story. We eventually established, of course, that the outer islands like Mango and Atata had been wiped out, all homes destroyed. And so I went about tracking down people who uh, you know, grew up on Mango, who could provide some insight from 
New Zealand about who lived there, what the injuries were, um, what it was like before the eruption. And there's a practical element to that too, right? A real world impact of it in that we saw and have seen in our bulletins the relief effort here, people desperate to contribute, but people need to know what to send, where it ought to go. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And I spoke to a woman um, out, out smart who was packing up, um, you know, food and water, but she had actually managed to um, make contact um, just a few hours before arriving at Mount Smart with her family. And her family were actually saying, look, what we really need um, is an electric frying pan because gas supplies are running low and we need an electric flying, frying pan to plug into the mains. And the other thing we need is a water blaster because ash is just everywhere. So there were those other items which were a bit more difficult to pack into a barrel, um, which may have been pretty crucial um, for many families. Yeah, so don't worry about the water. The water blast is what's needed. You wouldn't automatically um, think of that. But of course, a reporter like yourself, you would want to go there and see this for yourself and report back. I'm sure you still do. But as we've seen in the news the last few days, even with all the might and logistics of the Royal Australian Navy, you know, one of their lead ships there has now been described as a COVID carrier. And COVID is complicating even what already would have been a challenging kind of reporting trip to get there, right? Absolutely. I mean, in normal times without COVID-19, I would have been on the first flight out of Auckland. Um, Of course, we quickly established post the eruption that there were no commercial flights. And so attention then, of course, turned to whether we could travel with the New Zealand Defence Force. Um, But of course, the Defence Force... um, you know, their main concern is also COVID-19 and they're working closely with the Tongan government and the Tongan authorities have been very clear that any aid that is delivered is done so in a contactless manner. So what you have is the HMNZS Aotearoa and Wellington in Nukualofa uh, dropping by crane these supplies but having very minimal uh, contact with anyone on the ground. Of course, there's also the strict protocols the Tongan government has in place for entry to the kingdom in the first place. Even if you're a resident of Tonga and returning on one of these packed out repatriation flights, you must then do three weeks in MIQ before re-entering the community. So Tonga has done an incredible job at keeping COVID-19 at bay. They had one scare um, late last year, but that um, ended up being nothing. Uh, But since then, they have not had any COVID in Tonga. And the Prime Minister told me yesterday he is adamant that it must remain that way. Well, RNZ Pacific um, has, of course, a team dedicated to uh, covering issues from the whole region every day, so I'm sure they will keep on top of the story as it develops as we get into the recovery phase. Um, Likewise, uh, other media that serve Tongan New Zealanders here. Um, But for yourself on a national media outlet, you'll have a whole range of duties. You'll be covering the COVID response as well as you have been over the last two years, as well as being Pacific correspondent for News Hub. Down the years, people have sort of accused the media of not really being the, 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 the Pacific is kind of out of sight and out of mind to a lot of people, and that's not a good thing given the number of people of Pacific Island origin who who live here and have deep connections. Uh, but the, just that the scale and the drama of this eruption disaster might actually be something that piques general interest in um, in Tonga specifically, but also in in uh, life in the Pacific for a general news audience. Yeah, I think it absolutely will. And interestingly, when the first NZDF pictures came out of the aerial images they took from their P3KO Ryan, 
and we were doing stories on that, that, that was the first time that anyone uh, had had a glimpse into what was actually going on on these outer islands. And there was our digital team got in touch with me after I aired that story the following morning and said, you know, Mike, this has gone gangbusters online. You know, um, tens of thousands of people around the world have been watching it and they've been watching the entire duration of the story. So, you know, like I've previously said, we there is huge interest in what's happening in the Pacific. We do have a huge Pacific population in New Zealand and I do think that this event um, will certainly heighten interest amongst the New Zealand audience and the world. That's Michael Mora, News Hub's investigations reporter and also the network's Pacific correspondent for the past decade.